0: Today on Know the Truth, from Philip DeCourcy.
1: Do you have that sense of historic duty? That you're a gatekeeper for this generation? What does the words of that old hymn go? Something like, we cannot expect to be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Will we, like Timothy, embrace a sense of historic duty?
0: Welcome to Know the Truth, I'm Wayne Shepherd. When the Apostle Paul wrote his last letter to Timothy, he described himself as running across the finish line of life. He knew he'd die soon, and he intended to finish well. Today on Know the Truth, Philip de shares how we too can live our lives well with no holding back and no regret. It's the conclusion of a lesson called Finishing Well from the Without Apology series. If you missed the first two parts of this lesson, you can catch up on our website at ktt.org. Now, here's Philip.
1: We're working through Second Timothy, so grab your Bible. We're almost at the end of our study, a study we called Without Apology because early on in the book, and yet you still get this flavor throughout the book, Paul tells Timothy not to be ashamed of him as the prisoner of Jesus Christ or the gospel that he preaches. And so we want to live a life without apology, and, and so we call this series Without Apology. We're now in chapter four, verses six through eight, which is the passage that deals with Paul's imminent departure, imminent death, where Paul is addressing his young son in the faith for the last time, and he passes on some words of encouragement. He has finished well, and he wants Timothy to do the same. There are four things, the resolve, the review, the reward, the response. Let's look at the resolve, verse six for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. This is Paul's resolve to give the last drop of his life to gospel endeavor. On the one hand, the Romans are taking it from him, but on another hand, Paul is willingly offering it to Christ and to the kingdom, his final witness to a pagan culture. Philippians 1.20, right? Whether by life or by death, that Christ may be magnified in my body. As we think about the resolve here, you and I would be reminded, and it's good to be reminded, that death needs to be a crowning moment. And where you're conscious and in charge of your faculties, you need to command the scene and give a confession of faith. That's what Paul is doing here. Don't passively embrace death. On the one hand, death needs to be a crowning moment. On the other hand, life needs to be a constant offering of ourselves to God and others. I want you to notice it's inherent in the text. Paul dies all used up. I'm being poured out down to the last drop. That's challenging, isn't it? No, life is not something to be saved Life is something to be spent. Let's move on. You've not only got the resolve, you've got the review. The review, verse seven. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. So there's three things here. There's the soldier, there's the sportsman, and there's the steward. Paul casts his life in three pictures. So number one, verse seven, as he reviews his life, he can say, I have fought the good fight, the soldier. The soldier. Paul depicts the Christian life as a struggle, as a battlefield, as a fight for survival in the face of the world around him, the flesh within him, and the devil nipping at his heels. His spiritual life is on the line each and every day. He's a target for assassination. He's living behind enemy lines, morally speaking. Every day is a moral minefield in one wrong step, and he blows his legs from right from out under him and collapses spiritually. Dangerous stuff. That's why actually in chapter two, he'll say what? Verse 3, therefore, you must endure, Timothy, hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one entangled in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who is enlisted as a soldier. There was all kinds of fights and all kinds of fronts, morally and theologically, and Paul gets up every day with that attitude. I'm going to have to endure hardship. I'm going to have to be courageous. I'm going to have to do it one more time under fire. And I'm going to have to be single-minded because that's the point, isn't it? No one engaged in warfare entangles themselves with the affairs of this life. Men that are called to war leave their businesses behind. They hug their children. They kiss their wives. They put on a uniform and they don't look back. They're single-minded. They don't get engaged in other stuff when the war's on. That's the picture. Guys, each of us have battles to fight. You're in battles right now for your moral purity, for the strengthening of your marriage, for the raising of your kids, for making a stand for Christ in the world. You can be sure of it. At some front, he's in a fight. Paul says, I fought the good fight, the soldier. So That's the first picture. Here's another one as he reviews his life. We need to be challenged by that. The sportsman. I've run the race. Back to 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. I have finished the race. We're off the battlefield and onto the athletic field. Paul imagines himself crossing the finishing line of life. I think he imagines himself falling over the line breathlessly. Remember, he's being poured out. He's holding nothing back. He's not walking across, he's running across, running from the world and sin and the devil and failure, running towards Christ, the author and finisher of his faith. What a great! picture. I have fought the good fight. I have finished, notice, the race. Paul is saying, I have finished the race assigned to me. God has a work for each of us to do because in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 11, when it comes to the enablements of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which allows us to serve in areas of mercy, teaching, leadership, whatever, it says that the Spirit gives these gifts as He wills sovereignly. We don't all get the same gift. That's why in that passage you'll say, do all speak in tongues? Implication, no. Do all prophesy? Implication, no. We've all got a lien to run in. Every part of the body is separate and necessary. You've got a lien to run in. You've got a life God has written down for you to live. Here's the last picture, the steward. This third image is that of the trustee or the steward. Look what Paul says, I have kept the faith. He's not talking about his personal belief in Jesus Christ. He's not talking about his commitment to Jesus Christ. He's talking about the fact that he has kept The faith, the body of truth, the gospel. Remember back in First Timothy 6, verses 20 to 21, Paul says to Timothy, keep the deposit. The word deposit means the treasure. And in chapter 1 and verses 13 and 14 of this very letter, verse 14, that good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit. What's the good thing? It's the gospel. And Paul has kept it. The truth is always under attack. It must be preserved. It must be guarded. And Paul says, as I die, I can say truthfully, I have indeed defended the truth. You want to be able to say that, guys? You know what? I'm committed to guarding the deposit. Keep the faith. Okay, I'm not going to speak a lot on this next thought because I want to get to a final thought. The reward, the reward Hey, Paul, you've given a lot, verse 7. You've spent your life. You're doing it now at the end of your life, the way you've done it throughout your life. We realize you're running to the finish line breathless. We realize that your sword is still held high. You haven't surrendered to the enemy. You've fought the good fight. We see you've still got your Bible in your hand. You're committed to the faith. That's his past and that's his present. And Paul gets his motivation in his future because he says, look in verse 8, finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous says will give to me on that day and not to me only, but all those who love his appearing. He looks around without fear. He looks back without regret and he looks ahead without doubt. Paul draws back the curtain on the future, and previews what lies ahead for him and people like him. That's people who are Christ-centered and eternity-oriented, those who love his appearing. And he talks about a crown. He talks about a reward. This is the Greek word stephanos. It's the victor's wreath. And since he has taken images from the battlefield and from the athletic field, that's exactly what the stephanos is. The stephanos was a garland crown, a wreath, that would be put on the head of a victorious soldier or on the head of a winning athlete. And there are five of these crowns in the New Testament. There's the incorruptible crown given to those who practice self-discipline, 1 Corinthians 9. There is the crown of life in James 1 verse 12, Given to those who suffer and endure the end. There's the crown of rejoicing, which is the soul winner's crown in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 19. The crown of glory, 1 Peter 5, given to faithful pastors who served their congregations with stellar commitment. And then here there's the crown of righteousness, which is given to those who love his appearing. What do these crowns signify? We're not sure. Is it millennial blessing? Is it eternal joy? could be elements of that. But one thing I'm pretty sure of, even when we get those crowns, get those rewards, get those well-dones from Christ, according to Revelation chapter 4, we're going to take those crowns and cast them at Jesus' feet. He's going to say, thank you. And we're going to say, oh, Lord, it's not about us, it's about you. It was a joy to serve you. So that's the reward. And that is motivation. In fact, I think here there's an element of vindication because he's about to lose his life at the hands of an unjust judge called Nero. But in a future day, he's going to be vindicated by the righteous judge himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's going to be a day of vindication and victory for God's people. That's why Martin Luther said, I live this day for that day. But here's the point I want to get to and wrap it up, the response We've talked a lot about Paul because Paul's doing all the talking. But the last thought I wanna get in for a couple of minutes is what I call the response. We've looked at the resolve, we've looked at the review, we've looked at the reward, the response. And the response is to come from Timothy because I don't want you to lose the train of thought. We're looking at verses six through eight, but it really is tied to verses one through five. Because notice what he says in verse six, four. He's linking the comments that he's about to make with the comments he's just made. Timothy, preach the word. Timothy, fulfill the ministry. Four. And he gives the third reason for doing that. Remember what we said? First reason, verse one, the coming of Jesus and our accountability to him. Verse three, For the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine, so we got to preach it and fulfill the ministry. Reason three, because I'm about to die, Timothy, and you need to stand in the gap. That's the response I'm looking. The completion of my ministry begs for the continuation of yours. That's the important thing to get, guys. That's the flow of the passage. That's why you have this theme of gospel continuity as we wrap up here in 2 Timothy verse 1 of chapter 1 to Timothy, my beloved son. Paul has trained them up. Paul is sending him out. Chapter 1 verse 14, keep that good thing. Chapter 2 verse 2, find men like you and you do in them what I did in you, teach them to be faithful, that they may teach other men to be faithful. And you've got this continuing links in a chain of gospel faithfulness. You get to chapter three, verse 14, continue in these things. And then when you get to chapter four, hey, Timothy, bye-bye, son. You need to tell me you're going to preach the word and you're going to fulfill the ministry. That's the response I want in the light of the resolve, in the light of the review, in the light of the reward. This is kind of that scene, remember, when the mantle of Elijah falls off the chariot, and Elisha picks it up, and Paul's kind of laying down the mantle. Are you going to pick it up, Timothy? Now, here's one other thing, guys, I've got to squeeze in. We're not going to take time to deliver it, but I want to give you a thought, and some of you guys will chew on it, In 1st Timothy 6 verse 11 and 12 and 2nd Timothy 3 verse 17, Paul describes Timothy as what? The man of God. The man of God flees unrighteousness. The man of God is equipped through the word. Guys, that's a technical term and Paul is using it, I believe, very purposefully because it's gone back to the Old Testament. And you'll see that Moses, Samuel, David, Elijah, Elisha were all called the man of God. You remember what the woman says about Elisha? I perceive that a man of God has passed by. This is a technical term for prophets, men of the word, voices for God, leaders in the community of faith. And I think Paul's saying that to Timothy. There's this idea of continuity again. Timothy, we're in a line of faithful men, the man of God. And I have kept the faith and I've run the race and I have fought the fight. Now I'm going, I'm gone, Moses is gone, Samuel's gone, David's gone, Elijah's gone, Elisha's gone. You're here. Don't let there be gospel slippage. Don't let there be gospel shrinkage in your generation. Make sure that the work of the gospel proceeds aggressively in your generation. Make sure there's no break in gospel commission endeavors. There is an army of faithful men that have lived across the centuries who got us to this point with the Bibles in hand, religious freedoms, gospel opportunities. And the issue is will the work go forward or go back with this generation of men? Will we, like Timothy, embrace a sense of historic duty? A sense of historic duty. Do you have that sense of historic duty? You're a gatekeeper for this generation. What does the words of that old hymn go? Something like, we cannot expect to be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease, while others fought the prize and sailed through bloody seas. The martyrs, the faithful man that speak to us. A couple of weeks ago, some of us were at a lunch of the Tyndale Center of Translation at the Master's Seminary, the evening finished with an address by Dr. Steve Lawson on the life of William Tyndale. It was, to say the least, spellbinding on the man who put our Bibles into English. It was staring. You got that sense that the great cloud of witnesses were looking at us who had been faithful to the gospel, who had pushed the boundaries of gospel work, and now they were looking at us. What are you going to do in your generation? In fact, Steve told us that they had moved a couple of years ago to Dallas. He sold their home in Mobile, Alabama, and they were in a little apartment in Dallas. Most of his books, some of his furniture is in storage. He's got a small study. As he says, he goes in there every morning, sits at his desk. There are several portraits around him. To his left, there's John Calvin, And to his right, there's Martin Luther. And behind him, looking over him, is a large picture of William Tyndale with his finger on the Bible. And Steve said that he he studies every morning. He writes, he studies, he prays under the gaze of these great men, calling him to fervor and calling him to faithfulness. And you know what? He ministers with a sense of historic duty. May God give us a love of history. May God allow us to read biography. May God help us to see the man of God who have stood behind us, one after another, spilling blood, spilling ink, spilling sweat, and saying to us, rise up, O man of God, <laughs> and run the race, and fight the fight, and keep the faith. Finish well. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for this passage. It's, it's somewhat claustrophobic. It just closes in on you because it's very dramatic. It's a deathbed scene. It's the final hours of a man's life. It's life in focus. And to be honest, it's how we want it to be. On our best day, this is what we pray for. In our best day, this is what we aspire. Lord, help us indeed to do those things that will allow us to pull this off. Help us to pour out our lives before we pack up and leave for heaven. Help us, Lord, to not give up in the fight. Some of us are tired, but beaten up, bruised, bloody, bleeding. But give us the resolve and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to stand strong. Help us to run the race that you've given for us. Help us not to look over to our brother or another brother. Help us just to find out what ought to be beneath our feet, and let's get at it. Help us, Lord, to keep this precious gospel. Help us not to stand by passively as it's ripped apart in the culture, mocked in the church. Help us to defend it, because tied in the gospel is the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. Lord, when it's tough and, and hard, help us to keep our eye on that day when Jesus will come, and it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Help us not to get lost in the mood of the moment or the crisis of the hour. Lord, we pray that indeed we may be men of historic commitments. Help us to look back, understand what's behind us, the men that sacrificed and served to get us to this point and it mustn't die in our generation, it mustn't go back, it mustn't be less. Help us to be faithful. Help us to realize that the Bunyans and the Spurgeons and the Calvins and the Luthers, and the Moody's and the Hudson Taylor's, and the Amy Carmichaels, and the Florence Nightingales, that they're looking over us. They, they need to see the commitment that they give in us. May it be so. May this be a bond of men who in sacred honor die and harness for Jesus' sake. Amen.
0: Amen. Pastor Philip has more to share in just a moment, so stick around. You're listening to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy and the conclusion of a lesson titled Finishing Well. As always, these radio broadcasts are also available as a podcast. You can hear this episode or past episodes on your mobile device when you search for Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy on your favorite podcast app. You can also listen online at ktt.org. Well, as we heard today from Pastor Philip, we have a sacred duty to fulfill as Christians, and that's to keep the faith, run the race, and make every effort to further the gospel, just as generations before us have done for us. And that's why at Know the Truth, it's our mission to share the gospel with the world in need of truth, while also equipping our listeners to do the same. And Philip, it's an urgent and compelling task, as the world grows darker and the Lord's return grows closer.
1: That's true, Wean. We're living in dark, unsettling, and unstable times. It's been said that it gets darkest just before the dawn. And we see that in the Bible. The days leading up to Jesus' return will be marked by darkness and deception and destruction. And we're seeing that increasingly in our own day. This is a time then for us to proclaim God's word simply and boldly. Jesus told us that we're the light of the world. Paul told the Philippines that they're to shine as lights in a perverse and wicked generation. And know the truth embraces that mission. We exist to preach the gospel, to shine the light of God's truth upon lives. We want the lost to be found. We want disciples of Jesus Christ to be deepened and pointed to the truth of God's word. We exist to shine the light into the darkness. But the fact is without the generous support of listeners like you, we wouldn't be on the air at all. We are a listener supported ministry. And right now we want to extend a big thanks to anyone and everyone that has given us their support here at Know The Truth and on this station. Your gifts have made a difference and they're changing lives for eternity through the preaching of God's word received. So you can join us in this great enterprise of shining the light into the darkness. You can do that by giving a donation right now. Simply call 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org.
0: Thanks, Philip. And as a thank you for your gift of any amount, you'll receive God versus government taking a biblical stand when Christ and compliance collide. This book provides believers guidance and wisdom on how to respond when the state encroaches upon the church and looks to the Bible for answers about remaining discerning and faithful to God's commands in the face of opposition. Request your copy by calling 888-644-8811 or by giving online at ktt.org. Well, I'm Wayne Shepherd, inviting you back tomorrow when Pastor Philip begins the finale of the Without Apology series with a brand new message titled, What Matters Most?